welcome to today's episode of the Impactful Authenticity Podcast. My name is Lucy and I'm really excited today to welcome Ryan Hamilton on the show. Now, Ryan is the creator and founder of The Wine Experience, and I've just been having some lovely conversations with him about Uruguay, and we might dig into that a little bit more. And he's um, been the founder of that organization and company for over 12 years. But in 2022, he also founded and created Universim. Now, this is an entertainment app that focuses on hyper-relevant content, like-minded engagement, and better social connections. Mm, Super, super intrigued. And it's really a tale of the underdogs, the underdogs who dared to challenge the titans of social media with an opposing business model. And their ultimate goal as part of that company is to revolutionize a new market segment, creating big disruption in the space. This is what I love about tech. So, Ryan, firstly, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lucy. I love the intro. Let's just start. Can you just talk us a little bit through your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, sure. Um, I was born in Africa, in Zimbabwe, actually. Um, But when I was five, for a better quality of life, better education, we moved to South Africa. Uh, But it was kind of a crazy time to arrive because, you know, it was was early 80s. Um, My parents could only take a thousand Zimbabwean dollars at the time. There were no wire transfers. Um, So we pretty much put everything that we owned in in our Volkswagen combi and and drove for a better life to South Africa. But it was pretty much, you know, from worse to worse in a way because it was during apartheid. So it was kind of a crazy time to be there. You know, I remember being you know, five years old and going to the beach, you'd actually see the, see the signs of white beaches only. And I have to ask my mom, you know, what does that mean? Because of course, us Rhodesians weren't used to that, but, and many South Africans either. But thank goodness we had a man called Nelson Mandela who really transformed the minds and thinking of, it, of many. So, um, but it was kind of a surreal time because I remember the one morning I woke up and the only thing in the fridge was, was butter. So I went to, wow. my, went to my parents' room, woke, woke my dad up and I said, dad, he said, yes, son. I said, are we poor? He said, why would you say a thing like that? I said, there's only butter in the fridge. And as I said that, he kind of, he kind of shot up. And uh, things, you know, things quickly changed after that. But I remember that time, you know, the early 80s, it, wasn't, it was a real risk for my folks mm. to, to, to immigrate to, to another country. But that has always inspired me, you know, until now uh, in business. You know, that, that has always really driven me forward. You know, I, I never forget that. Mm. After, after my studies in South Africa, I ended up in the UK because my grandfather was born in Aberdeen in Scotland. My surname is Hamilton, so very Scottish. Um, uh-huh. And um, I ended up working at the home of Andrew Carnegie in the highlands of Scotland mm-hmm. at a castle called Skibo. So when, wow. Andrew, when Andrew Carnegie wasn't in Pittsburgh, his retreat was actually in Scotland because he was actually a Scot by descent. And uh, after he died, they turned the castle into a club. So it's now called the Carnegie Club at Skibo Castle. And Skibo is actually Gaelic for place of peace. Um, so I actually got to wear a kilt to work. So you can imagine. Oh. <laughs> yeah, surreal. I mean, you can imagine, you know, an African, you know, I mean, we used to walk pretty much barefoot to the supermarket, we you know, when I was a kid. So for me to wear a kilt was just, you know, unreal. Um, but, to, but to give an idea what it was like, because, you know, maybe your viewers go there one day. Um, there's no wake up call in the morning. The piper at 6 a.m. pipes around the castle. So, you know, when you hear the piper, you know it's time to wake up. And then everyone has breakfast in Mrs. Carnegie's room, which is this beautiful big room with these big windows. And as you have breakfast, you overlook 
the falcon meet his flag. And then everyone goes to the golf house and has lunch. And then in the evening, it's all very dramatic. White gloves, silver tray, cocktails at six. And at seven, the piper pipes everyone into Mr. Carnegie's room and you all follow the piper. It's a bit like Seance and Abbey, in a way. Wow. One of my favorite shows. It's perfect. Oh, man, I I love that show. And, Mm -hmm. um, and, And then you have a historian who sits at the head of the table and tells you stories of Andrew Carnegie. And true story, in 1907... Um, J.P. Morgan wanted to buy Carnegie Steel. And uh, J.P. And, and, and Andrew Carnegie didn't really get along. So, so J.P. spoke to Carnegie's wife and he said, look, how do I approach him? And she said, look, he's at his best when he's on the golf course. This is the time to approach him. At the time, they had a nine hole in front of the castle. Now they have an 18 as well. So in 1907, J.P. Morgan sent his aide to Scotland to buy Carnegie Steel. And on the ninth hole, on a piece of paper, Andrew wrote down a number that he thought JP wouldn't be able to afford. So he wrote 480, $480 million in 1907. And wow. JP Morgan, JP Morgan bought it. It became US Steel. And that moment Carnegie became the wealthiest man in the world. Which is wow. why you have all the, you know, you have all the Carnegie Halls and the libraries and the universities. You know, mm. he was probably, he, he was probably the, the first big philanthropist there was. So it was an amazing place to work, as you can imagine, you know, just with just with all this this history. Yeah, I'm actually getting mm. goosebumps. Goosebumps talking about. Oh. And uh, and then after dinner, the, the ladies go to the gun room and have cheese and port, and the men smoke cigars. You know, um, so yeah, it was a great, just a great experience. You know, to to work there. And, and I actually just left um, before Madonna got married to Guy Ritchie because they got married oh. at, at the castle. But now it's a little bit more famous because Jack Nicholson is a member. Michael Douglas. Um, it's actually the place where Michael Douglas was was courting. Catherine Zeta-Jones when they first started going out. So, you know, the place has a lot of interesting stories. Uh, after mm. that, I kind of, you know, as much as I love Scotland, I, you know, I, I wanted to experience London. So I went down to London. I ended up working for the Covent Garden Hotel in Covent Garden. And, you know, there's only 54 rooms. And the only people that stayed there were actors, uh, directors, producers, and movie agents. And I was the concierge. So, you know, I met everyone. Um, okay. So my claim to fame is that I, that I turned down Oliver Stone. So Oliver Stone, you know, this, this, this very well-known movie director was doing the, the movie Alexander back in 2002. And uh, before, the movie, before the movie finished, he was actually finishing the script at the hotel. This is before the iPhone era. So wow. you know, back, in the, back in the day, you know, you would need to fax it. And on this occasion, he needed me to help him, you know, do that to his, his co-writer at the time. Um, and, you know, I was going back and forth helping him. And then eventually I built up the courage to ask him the question. I said, you know, Mr. Stone, I've always wanted to work on a film set. What do I need to do? So he said, Ryan, we're doing this movie in Morocco. If you want, I sign you up. So I said, great, oh. let's do it. Yeah, I said, let's do it. So, you know, maybe I had like a naughty look in my eye or something because he then said, uh, I'm warning you. You need to be up at five in the morning. It's very hot in Morocco. That's why we shoot very early. You'll probably get to bed at midnight. You'll probably sleep four hours per day consecutively for three months. And then he said very slowly, if this is the life that you want to live, I'll sign you up. So he completely talked me out of it. (laughs) Uh, I I, I actually didn't say no. I said, said, you know, I'll get back to you. But at the time, you know, in order to get a British passport, even though my mom had one, you had to be working for nine months for every year for five years in order to get it. That that was kind of the system mm. in place. And I really mm-hmm. taken I really taken some holiday, you know, prior. So so that's that's really the reason why I didn't do it. Otherwise I guess I probably would have ended up in the film industry. You know, who knows? Wow. 
so anyway, after working at the Covent Garden Hotel, um, I kind of, you know, as much as I enjoyed hospitality, I, I by accident saw this advertisement of the paper looking for um, trainee wine managers with a hospitality background. I thought, okay, well, let me apply. I didn't know too much about wine. And the company was Majestic, you know, which is quite familiar. Yep. Uh, so I ended up getting, a, 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 you know, getting the job with Majestic, um, you know, fantastic company. At the time, they were a case merchant, so you had to buy 12 bottles. Now, of course, you can just buy one bottle. Uh, but just an amazing experience because, you know, within three months, they give you this big book that you have to study. You know, you need to get more than 80%, um, you know. But when you first enter the, the the wine store, it's more like a warehouse. You know, you've got sections for yeah. France, France and uh, Italy and Spain, etc. So it's very daunting in the beginning, especially when you don't know too much. But, you know, within three months, once you've studied and you've, you've tasted at, at many um, locations, it gets a lot easier. Uh, by then, I got my British passport, you know, after five years. And then I was then I had the travel bug and I thought, you know, what better way than to work on a, on a yacht? So I was the head sommelier for the yachts of Seabourn, which is around 190 passengers, 200 staff. So almost one staff member per passenger, which is just, just incredible. And um, and so I did that for about two or three years, uh, traveled the world. Just just an amazing experience. Um, the clientele tended, tended to be more American. Uh, and then I went to a slightly bigger boat called Silver Sea and I met my wife. Uh, so Sabrina, hmm. she's, act, she's actually from, um, well, her mom's from Uruguay, which is the connection with Uruguay. Yep. Her, dad, her dad's from Buenos Aires, and she was born in Argentina. Uh, so we got together. She speaks five languages. You know, she was in charge of all the excursions because on that boat, there were more kind of Italians and French and Portuguese, etc. cetera. Uh, eventually, we decided, you know, no more ship life. So we, we actually moved to Buenos Aires. Uh, I did a, a Spanish course at the... University of BA. And um, after that, I actually got the opportunity to open a, a wine estate in Stellenbosch, South Africa, called Del Air. Oh, nice. Yeah, Del Air Graf Estate. Mm. It's actually owned by Sir Lawrence Graf, you know, the famous jewelry oh. maker. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And so Sir Lawrence bought this uh, property around, I think, 2009, uh, 2008, when I was there. And uh, it was owned by someone else, but he kind of transformed it to, you know, with art and sculptures. And I even opened a diamond store there. Uh, but but Sir Lawrence had a really interesting background, you know, because he was a jewelry maker from London. And he ended up in Brunei. And who did he meet? The Sultan. The Sultan of Brunei, oh. who was the, actually, actually the wealthiest man in the, in the 70s and early 80s. And basically, the Sultan put him on the map, you know, because he would always try and find a specific diamond for the Sultan. Uh, anyway, and, yeah. and through, through lots of success, um, Sir Lawrence owns, I think, the second biggest diamond mine in South Africa called Safdico. And, uh, and, and then he obviously did the, the, did the wine estate, which was just, you know, beautiful. Uh, so, yeah, I got to work there. Uh, Sabrina actually opened the wine lodge next door. Um, and we were there for one year. And uh, she ended up opening a hotel here in Punta Leste, Uruguay, where we currently, currently live, called Fasano, which is a very famous Brazilian brand. Um, but because so many Brazilians vacate in Punta Leste during the summer, it, you know, it was, it was a no-brainer to open a facade over here. So it's a beautiful kind of uh, luxury hotel chain. And shortly after arriving, I ended up working for the Vic properties up the coast. There's a, there's a sleepy fishing beach town called Jose Ignacio. And I ended up opening a property called Playa Vic, um, you know, very high end. And uh, after the summer, I realized, you know, back in 2010, 2011, there was no one 
uh, taking people to vineyards and wineries in Uruguay. Oh. In fact, yeah, it didn't exist. It was really odd. I mean, of course, oh, yeah. you know, you go anywhere, you know, around the world and you, you can visit a, a vineyard or a winery with someone, but in, in mm. Uruguay, it actually didn't exist, which is really odd, even though there were many wineries. So, so I pioneered, um, you know, wine tourism in Uruguay in 2011. Uh, so that was the birth of the wine experience. In the beginning, it was just focused in Uruguay, but now it's in, you know, 100 and, 180 countries. And then when COVID arrived, for at least two years, there was no real business, you know, because, you know, mm. no, one, no, no one traveling. So after, after COVID, you know, I thought I need to pivot. I need to be a bit smarter. So I pivoted into adventure travel. And now we do hiking, trekking, biking, sailing, river cruises, uh, mm. safari, anything cultural, but, but more kind of multi-day trips between three and 15 days. Uh, oh, yeah. So it's, it's nice. now the wine, the wine experience has become adventure travel and wine. With wine as the foundation, as the foundation, and um, yeah, but then you know I was kind of on social media, and you know there was just, you know I was just I was just frustrated the, the way it was, you know a lot of mm. uh, irrelevant content, you know algorithms bearing seventy percent of your content, uh, you know the endless scrolling but never satisfied, you know a surveillance yeah. en enterprise full of, um, you know, irrelevant content and poorly targeted ads. And I thought there must be something better, you know. And this was actually the birth of Universum, which is the project that I'm doing right now. Um, yeah, excited. Wow. That's such such a fun and interesting journey of how you've kind of, well, moved around the world and sort of built on different parts of your career to kind of guide you to the next step and to the next step. And just kind of curious, given the shows about authenticity, have there been times in your career so far where you felt more or more able to be authentic than others? Or do you feel you've been lucky that the industries you've been in actually have kind of embraced people showing up authentically? Yeah, good question. Um, I mean, I would say when I discovered my passion and my purpose, that was probably the moment where I felt most authentic. You know, the pursuit of authenticity often begins, you know, when you find something we truly love and are passionate about. Mm. Um, but this has a lot to do with embracing, you know, self-awareness, understanding who you are, you know, what you value, what drives you, uh, you know, recognizing your strengths and weaknesses, you know, which allow you to make choices that are more aligned with your true self. Um, but, you know, it, it also allows you to be a bit more vulnerable um you know mm. allowing ourselves, ourselves to be seen for who we are uh you know our flaws um you know and, and that gives you kind of more deeper connections with others and fosters kind of a sense of authentic authenticity um mm. and then and then another big part is embracing imperfection uh you know we are yes. we are human we make mistakes uh, you know it is a journey uh we need to embrace our flaws um, mm. you know, we can let let go of the need to constantly project, uh, you know, a flawless image uh, to others. Um, mm. I'm curious how that works. Or, or again, I'll apologise because I'm throwing in some kind of self perceptions here. But it sounds like certainly kind of earlier in your career, you you were working in some very very high end places that obviously probably have a very you know, they've got a very good reputation that come with them and therefore 
probably the expectations I would expect on people may be slightly different to working, you know, you're not working in your local McDonald's when you're, you know, working in Stebo Castle. So were there differences or, you know, did you notice that there were times where you had to kind of put on a certain persona because that was kind of what was required of the job? And how did you find that, if so? Yeah, no, uh, it's, it's a good question. You know, it's all of when you work in hospitality, you need it's it's not for any kind of person. First of all, you have to like people. You know, if you don't if you don't mm-hmm. like people in in service, it's it's definitely not the job for you. Um, because you know it does take a lot out of you. Um, mm. It's all about it's all about going the extra mile, and it's all about anticipating um, you know your the guests' needs in advance. You know, being proactive. Um, so in a way, it is. It is like sometimes you just need to turn yourself on. It's like also being on a luxury yacht. You know, the, the minute you leave your cabin, you need, need to kind of switch on, be in that kind of guest mm. mode. Uh, fortunately, you know, that's something that, that does come naturally to me. Uh, you know, I really love people. You know, I like meeting people. Um, but yes, you kind of have to know your boundaries as well. Um, you know, um, what you can project. Um, so it is kind of, you know, embracing personal authenticity is a powerful act of, you know, self-discovery, growth, and, and, and really self-expression. Um, mm-hmm. so, so, yeah, uh, to answer your question, sometimes, you know, I would say in most cases in hospitality, maybe, you know, people are being authentic, but maybe they are just doing it because they've just turned on in the moment. You know, they, this is something that mm-hmm. they need to do. Need to do. Uh, whereas with me, it just comes naturally. Mm. Yeah, and I think, well, I think it's really interesting when I now kind of start to sort of absorb, because as you were talking, it was making me kind of think, well, actually, no matter probably what industry you're in, on the whole, you're dealing with people. It might not be quite like hospitality where it's, you know, ins and outs of it, but, you know, there's not many roles and jobs where you're literally completely working on your own. And you always do have to be mindful of the context that you're in and, you know, expectations of you within those contexts. And I think this is something that's kind of quite interesting on the authenticity side of things, because I think, you know, people sometimes think that means, you know, you just say what you want, when you want, you show up, you wear what you want, whenever you want, like, you know, you've got kind of no filter at all. And I, I, I that's not kind of my interpretation of it at all. So I think it's kind of, interesting as you speak about that and talk about you know your strengths and weaknesses and knowing about your purpose and those kinds of things because I actually think as you spoke then it made me realize though I'm have never worked in hospitality actually a lot of what you said still really holds true to a a lot of um a lot of industries just with the fact that on the whole you know we are dealing with people there is always a client it just might not be um, a client that's, you know, coming in to buy a, a specific service, but, you know, you're working with them within a large corporate organization and places like that. So it was just my mind kind of ticking there as you spoke, Ryan. So thank you. Yeah, um, and, you know, I, and, also, and also kind of, you know, having the courage to to be true to yourself, you know, expressing vulnerability, you know, embracing your imperfections. Um, mm. Yeah, and having a life more aligned with your beliefs, your passions, and and your overall purpose, uh, that to me is is you know my personal authenticity. 
but it is a journey mm. of it is a journey of self-discovery you know it's 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 something that continues you know it's it's personal growth and self-expression yeah and that actually really lovely ties into i'm really curious about this kind of switch and you know you shared a little bit about setting up universum and you know what kind of triggered that but just you know on black and white on a piece of paper it looks like quite a different kind of jump from what you'd been doing before so what kind of really inspired that and you know what were some of the things that got you excited and what are some of the things that scared you about kind of taking that leap more into the tech world well you know with with universum it had to do with the big pain points in social media mm. so so you know the driving force behind the creation of universum um, was actually the pursuit of social authenticity and the, and the value of social listening um, my deep-rooted passion lies in addressing a signif significant issue that plagues mm. uh, social, social media platforms you know the overwhelming presence of algorithms bearing 70 percent of user-generated content um, you know combined with the endless scrolling this leaves users you know perpetually unsatisfied uh, you know, trapped in a surveillance enterprise, flooded with irrelevant content and poorly targeted ads. Uh, you yeah. know, the experience the experience of wasting time on social media has become, you know, all too familiar. Uh, you know, yeah. worsened, worsened by the abundance of fake news, misinformation, and dis disinformation. Uh, you know, algorithms algorithms predict our, our di every digital move, uh, which is the problem. You know, creating these eco chamber effects that that stifle diverse uh, perspectives. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it is evident that inauthenticity permits numerous social media platforms at the moment, you know, intensifying this need to change. And this is yep. where kind of Universum was born. Um, but what makes Universum, you know, authentic is that we focus on, you know, as you mentioned, hyper-relevant content, niche topic discussions. However, we have an opposing business model to all other social apps like Facebook, Instagram, X, Pinterest. And this is the jewel of Universal. Mm. So, um, you know, Universal is based on interests, topics, uh, but it's the first platform ever that allows users to post directly to two specific countries, which, you know, which has never been done before, uh, which, oh. keeps con yeah, which keeps content super relevant and specific. Um, what makes Universal different from other social media platforms is that users have to select a universe to make a post. So Universal is based oh. on on 14 universes. So we have art, architecture, design, uh, beer, music, photography, sports, travel, fitness, family. Um, you've got photography, um, you know, music, etc. So there's at least 14 users, universes to choose from. But we have an intelligent filtering mechanism. So you have to choose a universe to make a post. Whereas on other I platforms, you can just post anything you like. And this is the problem. This is what creates a lot of fake, fake, fake news, misinformation, disinformation, and all these eco chamber effects. Because you can just post anything, um, you're going to get some, some, some very opinionated uh, posts. But with Universum, in order to make a post, you, you, you are obliged to, to pick music or to pick travel or to pick photography or to pick sports. Uh, and then you post based on these categories. These... Mm -hmm. uh, these, uh, these interests, known as universes, also have topics based on them, which are known as sub-universes. So you can also post via the topic, 
And then if you want to make it even more relevant, more specific, you can actually post it where you are. So you can post it to um, Portugal or France or South Africa or Uruguay. That kind of keeps it more filtered and, and more relevant. So think of it as a unified platform with multiple social networks under, under one roof. So it's like an Instagram just for food or an Instagram just for one. And that's really what it is. But the beauty, the beauty of the idea is that, you know, we keep everything authentic, you know, um, you know, users will be true to themselves because after all, um, you know, people tend to follow only what they like. So if you're someone who likes food, travel and, and, and photography, Universal would be a fantastic app for you because you can really hone in on, on what, 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 you know, what you're truly passionate about and things that are kind of more authentic, more true to you. Um, so, but the, the jewel of, really of Universal is, is the fact that you can post five countries. And this is why we have an opposing business model to other social apps. Because, you know, I was very concerned about starting a project like this and then, you know, a giant who then tries to copy your idea. This happens a lot. Um, yep. For example, I, I, when Snapchat introduced the stories, um, you know, Facebook introduced that. When TikTok introduced the reels, uh, Instagram introduced reels. When, uh, you know, when threads came out to kind of compete with Twitter, which is now X. So, you know, it was important for me not to have an idea that, that was easily replicable. replicable. Um, so because, you, because we allow users to post to countries, this is a completely different idea and an opposing business model. But once we have, say, like a million users and once we grow, we'll have a different login for a business user. So anyone that has a food business right. or a travel business or music or wine, they can then enter the app, but they can then create an ad and they can target their exact target audience based on mm -hmm. based on food, based on the topics to food, and, and they can even post that to the correct country. So, you know, you're keeping everything really relevant. So they're going to find their exact target audience. And we'll also have mm -hmm. something, we'll also have stories. Now, currently on other platforms, you have personal stories. So we'll have that as well, but we'll have a food story or, or a photography story or a music story or an art story. So you're keeping it very relevant. And later on, if we do want to introduce ads, we can put the ad in the food story or in right. the music story. So you're just keeping things relevant. You know, you're not having ads that are annoying, repetitive, and, um, you know, yeah. that, that kind of get Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. I, I, those those ads, though, I've got to admit, when I'm in a certain mindset, I find some of those ads like absolutely fascinating and it can take me down a rabbit hole of why on earth have they given me this to look at? <laughs> Still, um, as a data scientist by background, there's, I'm often very curious of where these algorithms get their information to um, to target some of these things at you. Um, it sounds it sounds really wonderful, and um, if people are interested to find out more, Ryan, what's the best place for them to do that? We're on the we're on the Play Store uh, with okay. Google. We're on the Apple Store as well, um, so they can download the app on both stores, and then they can find us on Instagram um, under Universum. Uh, it's actually spelled S I double M. It ends with that. Um, so yep. yeah, they can they can find us. But but I would say the best way is to is to download it on on the App Store. It's free. Then they can get an idea yeah. of what it's about. We just introduced stories um, today, actually, so that's very, very oh, exciting. Um, and yeah, we, we're, I'm starting my influencer campaign next week, so you know we're we're very positive about that. Fabulous. Well, this will 
probably be out in a couple of weeks so it, it won't be that late um in terms of you know it, people when they listen to this it'll be fairly current in terms of the recording to the um to the actual re- release of it live so um that's that's super fabulous and did i understand correctly that at least to start with while you're building users there there won't be ads so that's another maybe great reason for people to sign up early Definitely not. No, no, we won't have ads um, at all, actually. Um, so okay. the most important, most important now is to, to, is to, you know, try and grow the user base. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to this influencer campaign, but it's open to everyone. I mean, it's anyone, anyone that's, uh, you know, and the, the beauty of Universum is that you only need to pick three universes when you sign up. So if you're someone who likes food, travel and, and sports, you know, the app will be mm-hmm. Even though, if you want, you can add more universes in your settings. So you can chop and change. If you're a little bit tired of food, you can go to, to architecture or, or to art or to, to design. Um, mm. So, yeah, it's, it's something very personal, created for users to keep you know, their post more authentic, more relevant, um, mm. fixing all these pain points that I mentioned before. Yeah. I love it. Well, that maybe leads on a little bit, and I'm going to do these back to front. I usually do the challenge first and the song, but I feel like I've got to ask you about the song first. So is there a song that's um, had an impact in your life? If so, what is that? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I would say there are two, actually. Um, so, you Perfect, know, I'm a, fine. I'm, I'm a romantic at heart, so I would say Love You, Love you Till the End by the Pogues. Um, right. and, as that was a song they played at our wedding. Um, so, you know, that, that kind, that song, whenever we hear it, we, we always smile. Uh, it's always something that's, that's very relatable. Uh, and then, you know, um, Survivor's Eye of the Tiger, you know, which is always such oh. a, a positive, uplifting song. And it's really about trials and tribulations and overcoming mm. And, and that, that really has applied to me in business, um, you know, it's 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 not hard starting a business and a lot of people don't start it because of fear alone i mean fear stops yeah. in, their, in their tracks so i would say it's i would always encourage people listening you know if you have an idea you know just go for it you know the most mm-hmm. important most important thing is taking action you've got to take that first step once you yeah. take that first step everything falls into motion um yeah you know, but sometimes fear can stop you right in your tracks anyway so anyway that's just a song that that lifts me up and you know it's all about overcoming obstacles oh i love it ryan as someone who's just set up their own business like six ish months ago this um, i might need to get this on repeat every now and then i took the brave step but um it's definitely a lovely roller coaster as you 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 start out on your own especially when you've had the security blanket of being in you know in corporate organizations for a while or just generally in in companies where yeah just you you take for granted sometimes what is very very easy when you go out on your own is actually quite complex so um i will love getting this on and giving me a little boost sometimes in the morning when i need it and i did forget to actually ask you um a very important question for those of us listening who do drink wine what is your favorite wine uh, <laughs> um you know i i love shiraz shiraz or it's also actually known as syrah syrah's actually actually the oldest varietal grape in the world oh they, okay actually, yeah they, they said actually at the at the last supper 
they were drinking Syrah. It's actually a grape originally from Persia. Um, mm. But the Australians were looking for a name that was more marketable. So they, they called it Shiraz. Um, oh. it's, it's, a, it's a grape that, that grows very well in Australia just because it, it's, it's, it's a parietal that needs very hot conditions with you know, poor soil. Uh, mm. So it's, they, they tend to be very full-bodied, lots of structure, very rich, robust, bold, you know, the kind of wines I like with a lot of tannins. So I would say there's one in particular called the Penfolds Grange. Um, it's a Shiraz by them, which, which is just incredible. I mean, after mm. having a few, a few sips of those, your, your mouth is opaque, it's, <laughs> your teeth are, are, are purple. <laughs> All uh, right, lovely. Just, just a fantastic wine, yeah. That, that would probably be, you know, first on my list. And, and then, then maybe something from Italy, from Tuscany. Before we close, Ryan, I do want to make sure I can ask you for the challenge for the week. Okay. Is there something you'd like to pose for the listeners to have a go at this week? Yeah, I, w- I would say in terms of um, the subject at hand, authenticity, is, you know, just a lot of people in many occasions say yes all the time. Even though sometimes, mm. even even though sometimes deep down, it's it's not really something they want to do. Um, you know, it's okay to say no and prioritize ourselves instead of constantly trying to please others. You know, so I would say by setting a few boundaries this week, you know, we show respect for ourselves and and create a healthier dynamics in our relationships. You know, so you don't always have to say yes. You don't always have to feel that you need to say yes uh, to your friends, etc. You know, just trust your instinct. Fabulous. It's it's almost like we'd coordinated, Ryan, but we absolutely did not. Um, yeah. in the in the impactful authenticity newsletter this week that just went out for this month, um, that's the that was part of the challenge. There actually was around setting um boundaries for the holiday yeah. period. So um, great minds think alike. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I will make sure that. Um, I add into the show notes for everybody listening, all of the different connections to Ryan about Universim. If people want to dig into that a little bit more and find out all about the different universes you can sign up for. It's certainly got my mind super curious. I'm going to go and have a, a download when I finish this and I make my cup of tea. Very British, I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you, Ryan, for all of your lovely um, conversation and insights today. I've really, really appreciated having this conversation with you. And for everybody listening, I hope you enjoyed the content As always, don't forget to hit subscribe or follow if you don't already follow the show. And I look forward to sharing more stories with you in the next couple of weeks. And remember, authenticity is a continual journey. Small steps can make a big impact. Take care.